If you're visiting with us and haven't got a Bible, or if you haven't got a Bible anyway and would like one, if you'd just like to wave your hand and I can get someone to distribute a Bible to you. Thank you, there's one there. And uh, I think that's probably it. Is there any others? Thanks, Mark. Um, if, if you've got one of our Bibles, then it's on page 1173, Ephesians chapter 1. If you haven't got one of our Bibles, then you have to find it in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, uh, Romans, Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians. There you go. Do you want me to go on the rest of it? No, that's enough, isn't it? So there we are, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 3. If I haven't met you before, my name's Ron Gordon, I'm uh, one of the members of the church here in Lewis. <laughs> hey, thank you, there's a few others as well. It's very nice to see you this morning if you're visiting here, and we hope you have enjoyed the service so far. It's been great to hear other people taking part. We're going to read these verses in Ephesians, and then I've got a few things to say which uh, I'll explain to you in a minute. But first of all, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation and the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To put into effect, when the times will have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for the words that Paul wrote there. And we pray this morning you'll help us to hear things from yourself as you speak to us. We thank you that you've already been speaking to some of us through what we've heard this morning and through taking part in worshipping you. And we pray, Father, as we just look at things in your word now, you'll make things clear to us and speak to us, Lord, as individuals where we are, uh, that we might have our lives changed and affected by you. Amen. 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 Okay, well, for the last uh, few weeks, we've been going through a series on salvation. 
And um, Rich has done most of those. So he's done a number of them, one on love, one on being chosen, one about judgment, I think it was last week. And uh, this morning, what I'm going to do actually kind of incorporates all of those and, in fact, incorporates all the ones that are to come. So I've got a kind of... That's true, is it, Rich, I think? Yeah, I know there's people behind me. They're watching us. You, you need to be looking at those and thinking about it for the minute. Um, so we're in the middle of a series. And uh, this morning, what I want to do is actually something I say that actually incorporates quite a few of uh, the things we've already heard about. Now, behind me, you'll see a couple of photographs of two people. And the question for you is, and don't call out the answer, the question for you is, who are they? Who are they? I'll give you a clue. They're actually, you won't actually know their names necessarily, but they are related to one person in this room. They're related to one of us in this room. Your job is to decide who you think they might be related to. Then I might ask you why you think they're related to them. Anybody got the answer? Lally's sort of not sure, but she's... Which one? <laughs> no, they're not Liz's parents. No. Is that guy on the left in No. <laughs> Thank you. We have the right answer down here. They're my parents. They're my parents. Now, if you look at the lady particularly, probably, you might see some similarities. Someone who it looks like Tim, and Liz over there is nodding quite strongly. If you look at my front teeth, you'll look at her front teeth, you'll see straight away that we come from the same... You can't see my teeth, they come from the same place. You see, the fun thing is that um, we take on... Now, I know you don't think the, da- the guy looks like my dad, but uh, if I was to show you a picture of my brother, you'd say he looks exactly like my dad. And I suspect if I was to go to your families, you would probably be able to say, oh, they look so-and-so like so-and-so. And And the interesting thing I've found is that when I've seen uh, our family and looking at Sarah's children, when I look at Sophie, sometimes I can see things in Sophie that look just like my mum. And it's kind of this kind of thing that travels through the generations. That as you go on, you actually can sort of see things back there that actually you see now in your life and in your children. And sometimes as we grow older, we begin to look more like our parents, which of course is slightly more worrying for some of us. But um, that is a fact, that we all have, uh, we inherit things from our forebears. We might inherit likenesses, we might inherit family traits, we might inherit character, we might inherit attitude, all these different things which are part of our makeup, and they've come from our parents and from their parents. And there's a BBC programme... Uh, which um, some of you are probably familiar with, which is this one, Who Do You Think You Are? Who do you think you are? And people spend a lot of time, and it's very easy now with the, with the World Wide Web, to actually research where you, you've come from. Who are, my, who are my parents? Who are my grandparents? Who are my great-grandparents? Rich was saying a few weeks ago that people have no idea about two or three generations back. But actually, it's quite easy for a lot of people to find out. It's extraordinary how much data is actually available and stored about your ancestors, where you've come from, what happened to people in the past who are related to you. And people sometimes find you know, things about their past that kind of surprise them. I remember watching one of these programs where Jeremy Paxman was taken to a tenement uh, uh, a room in Glasgow 
where it was a single room in, in a tenement block, and they had actually maintained it as it was about 100 and something years ago. Very primitive. And in that room, his great-grandmother, on her own, because her his, her father had died, brought up 11 children, one of whom was Paxman's grandmother. And Paxman was reduced to tears in that room, just looking at how she'd lived and thinking about it and thinking, this was, this was my grandmother grew up here. So you can be affected by the people that have gone before you. And you think, you know, it's a bit strange, isn't it? But no, actually, because we're kind of a part of where we've come from. I remember there was another program where Kim Cattrall, I think, was uh, investigating her grandfather, not going back very far, just her grandfather. Her mother, uh, his, her father's, her, her mother, um, her, as a child, her father had walked out on them when she was eight years old. They'd never seen him again. And now uh, Kim was looking into where her grandfather had gone. When her, mother, her grandmother was eight years old, he walked out and left her, her mother with three children. And uh, he just disappeared. They thought perhaps he'd gone to America, but actually they'd lived in Liverpool. He hadn't gone to America, he'd crossed the Pennines and he'd gone to Durham, where actually he'd met another woman and got married. Now he never told the first woman, and he hadn't got divorced from the first woman, so actually he was a bigamist, which back in the 30s was a fairly serious offence. And not long after that, he then actually emigrated to Australia with his new family, where he lived for the rest of his life in Sydney until he died in 1990. And some of his children, obviously, were still alive, and they, of course, were half-sisters to the mother of Kim Cattrall, who was still alive in this country. And so she brought them together. They had people they did no idea about. This man had just walked out and left his family and gone completely. So we have things sometimes in our past, which surprise us. And we think, have I really come from that? You know, is that, is that what's about for me? And some of us don't want to know about our past, perhaps, because we're a bit afraid of what we might find out. And some of us are very interested to find out. I have people in my family who are very interested in finding out. So I can tell you about my great-great-great-great-grandfather, who lived from 1755 to 1831. Now, he had four wives... Not all at once, I hasten to add. The first wife only lived for two years and died without giving birth to any children, possibly died in childbirth, which was quite common probably in those times. The second wife he married uh, lived for 21 years and he had four children with her. And then she died, so he thought, blow this, he married again. And this time he had another wife who only lived for two years and she had one child and then died. So he's now had three wives and she's died, so he's looking around for a fourth one and he's 57 years old. So at 57 years old, he found a fourth wife called Anne. His name was John Leeson. He was a farm neighbour in Buckinghamshire. He found this fourth wife, Anne. He was 57. She was 25. She was 32 years younger than him. So he married this lady uh, when he was 57, and he lived until he was 71 and had nine more children. Nine more children. In fact, sorry, he lived until 76 and had nine more children. And the last child he had was when he was 71 years old. Now, I run the oldest cows group in the church, so don't start telling me we are past it, because we're not past it, guys. <laughs> he was 71 when he had his last child. You think, isn't it weird how life goes on with people? And that's all back there somewhere in the past. And, you know, the interesting thing is that we've all come from somewhere in the past. And ultimately, if we push that back far enough, we've all come from one parent in the past, Adam and eat. All of us. That's where we come from. We are all, as the Bible describes us, as in Adam. That's where we've come from. We're in Adam. We're descendants from Adam. 
the whole human race, God sovereignly constituted Adam as the head of the human race, with the result that what he did is kind of imputed down to us, to all his descendants. So just as I've taken on some of the things from my past, so if we go back far enough, we have taken on what happened with Adam. And there were two things particularly that we find from Adam, two characteristics. First one is this, Adam rebelled against God. Adam sinned. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. He disobeyed. And I don't really have to take you very far to prove to you that that is how we are today. Just come to Kingstots on a Friday morning and you'll find kids that can't even speak but they know how to rebel. Is this not true? Those that go to Kingstots, they know how to rebel. They don't know the words but they know how to say no or shan't or won't. That's the same in any language, isn't it? No, shan't. And we see it, don't we? I can take you to an old people's home, you'll find people that know how to rebel. We all know how to rebel. We are a rebellious people. That's just our nature. That's really the way that we are. We don't like things like health and safety because they start telling us how to do it. We think, I know how to do it. I don't need telling how to do this. I know how to drive my car. I don't need to be told. We don't like being told what to do sometimes, do we? And we kind of have this inbuilt rebellion and resistance to things that are saying, you should be doing this. You think, well, why should I do that? We have a, a, a policy in Balfabiti which requires people who visit our sites or are on our sites to park their cars by reversing into the space rather than driving straight forward into it. Interesting this morning is about four of the cars out there are reverse parked, which is unusual, I have to say. The reason they've adopted that policy is they've found that when people are reversing out, they're more likely to hit people than when they're reversing in. So all our sites have this policy where if you go on the site, it says, please reverse park. I went to the M25 recently to our operations centre on the South Mims, and we have a lot of vehicles there, a lot of people work there. And as I drove into that car park, every single car was parked, reverse parked, except one. And guess whose car the one was that wasn't reverse parked? Sorry? No, a policeman. <laughs> you see, we're all rebellious. Even those who are upholding the law, we're still rebellious. We'd think, no, I don't have to do that. Why do I have to do that? I can be the exception to the rule. But actually, no. The Bible says we're all like Adam, sinful and rebellious. How can you tell? Sorry? But it's a police car. No, but the others are all reversed. Well, because you can see, because their bonnets are pointing out rather than pointing in. <laughs> you, never, you never really know if you're getting through unless people ask questions, do you? Thank you, Chrissy. That's. There are a few people who said, oh, good, now I know what he's talking about. It's, it's quite helpful, isn't it, really? And if you don't drive a car, well, then you probably missed you completely. So uh, that's very helpful. Please feel free to ask questions when they're going to clarify things, because uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with asking questions. We're all sinful by nature. And Adam not only sinned, but God judged him and gave him a punishment. And the punishment was this, that he died. And ever since Adam all die. As the Bible makes quite clear, and we all know that for a fact, don't we? Everybody dies. Originally, God's intention wasn't that everybody would die. But because of Adam's sin, God judged his judgment on sin was death. So everybody since Adam has died. I know Mark said he had a friend once who said he was going to try and live forever. So far, so good. <laughs> but you see, we're not. We're going to die. One day, we're going to die. 
So there we are, we are in Adam. Whether you like the look of my parents or not, whether you like your parents or not, whether you even know who your great-grandparents or great-great-great-grandparents were or not, doesn't matter. Ultimately, you came from Adam. You have a sinful nature that likes to rebel and you're going to die. Those are simple facts. You are in Adam. We're not all, as it were, separate pebbles on a beach from different sorts of rock. We're all leaves from the same tree. And that tree comes from Adam. And that's where we all are. But... As Paul says, we are made alive in Christ. I want to turn now to the fact that we are not only in Adam, but we, if we are Christians, are in Christ. Paul has grasped the amazing fact, if we're born again by the Spirit, we're no longer just in Adam, but we're also in Christ. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? We were in Adam. We were going to die. If we are in Christ, we are going to live forever. Fantastic. That's what God has done in taking us in salvation. From Adam, he's put us in Christ. And that's what we're just looking at this morning. So, just as you had the likeness or whatever from your parents, grandparents and so on, now you're going to have something different. Adam and Christ stand against each other as two great figures at the entrance of two worlds, two creations, the old and the new. In their actions and fate lies the decision for all who belong to them, because these are comprehended in them and are reckoned either to death or to life. You see, what we've got is we've got Adam where we all are. He's here. He's Adam. And we're in Adam. And Adam has sinned, he's gone wrong, he's died. And we're all in him dying. And then here we have Christ. And we can be in Christ. Now Christ took our sin in his own body and died on the cross. So that now he has risen again from, from, the, from death. And we can transfer from being just in Adam to being in Christ. So that when God looks at you and me and, and sees the sin that we've done, he doesn't actually just look and see our sin. He sees our sin in Christ. So that when Jesus died on the cross, the sin he didn't have any sin of his own, but the sin that he had was the sin of you and me that has got into him. As he died on the cross, he has your sin on him. So when God looks down and sees Christ on the cross, he sees your sin in Christ. If you're a Christian, he sees that your sin is in Christ. So that when Christ dies, that judgment on your sin is paid for. It's punished. It's gone. Because it was in him. He didn't have any of his own, but the sin that you and I have got if we've become Christians, goes in, as it were. When God looks at us, he sees us in Christ. So instead of looking at you and judging you, he says, no, I see you in Christ. Christ has paid for that sin. The judgment for it has been uh, paid, uh, been judged and paid for. So now you can go free. So if you're in Adam when you die, you don't have that. If you're in Christ when you die, you do. Because God sees Christ and he sees you in Christ. 
Now that's something we need to really make sure that we know. It says in Romans um, 5, chapter 19, if I'd just like to read to you two verses there. Romans 5, verse 19 or 18. Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, over here, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as one man, so just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man will the many be made righteous. Through one man and his disobedience, we all became sinners. Through one man and his obedience, we have all become righteous. So the first thing we notice in this contrast between Adam and Eve is that one went wrong and and we've all failed in him. If we're in this one, he was right and we're all right in him. We're made righteous in him. His righteousness is put onto us. Do you see you've kind of moved from being in one family tree to being in another family tree? Well, you've got a better pedigree and a better heritage. You think, wow, this looks better. We are in Christ. And just as in the old Adam, we had a sinful nature, what does it say about us now that we're in Christ? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. You see, in Adam, we do the things that Adam did. We tend to look after ourselves and think about ourselves and be selfish. When we're in Christ, we do the things that Christ did. We tend to be looking out for others. We tend to be thinking what we can do for other people. Because we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's why we're in him, to do good works. All right? Which it says, God prepared in advance for us to do. They're there for us to do. God's got ready to get on and do them. We're created for Christ, in Christ to do God works. We may think sometimes that we're weak and useless, but God sees us as having all the potential that Jesus has. So get on and do the good works that God gives to you to do. So no longer are we under condemnation. No longer have we got the sinful nature that only means we can only sin. We've got a nature that says, yes, I can do good works. And thirdly, we have an inheritance, which actually Rich talked about quite a lot last week. I just want to read one verse. It says, in Christ we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Or in the NIV, never perish, spoil, or fade. You see, instead of death and destruction, and that's it, and judgment at the end of the life, which is the inheritance that you've got from Adam, the inheritance we have from Christ is new life. It's, it's, a, it's a reward that is incorruptible, in other words, nothing can spoil it, undefiled, it have nasty things in it, and it doesn't fade away, it doesn't wear out, it doesn't get less as time goes on. It's always there. That's, what we're, that's our inheritance. I don't know whether you've had any inheritance in your life, whether you come from a family where you've inherited things. I remember Don Smith saying that all he inherited when his father died was a skip outside his father's house. He put all the rubbish in. But you might have done better than that. Maybe you, you, know, you have inherited things from people, or maybe you haven't. In Adam, you might, you might inherit things in this life. But in Christ, we have an inheritance. So whether you had anything before or not, I'm going to tell you this, in Christ you have an inheritance. You have something to look forward to. Think, hey, I've got an inheritance coming. Wow, this is good. When I die, I've got an inheritance that's going to come to me because in Christ there is an inheritance. So in Adam, there was only sin and death. In Christ, 
There is new life, and there's inheritance, and there's things to look forward to. So fundamentally, we want to see that there's this enormous change when we've moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. Now, Paul had fully got hold of this. You can note that because actually he uses this word, in Christ, a significant number of times in the New Testament. How many times do you think Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, or in him, in the New Testament? 267. 267. Good guess, John. You're 27 out. 240 is the answer. That's a lot of times. You look through the New Testament and think, wow, 240, what, in just these few books, Paul uses that term? Yeah, 240 times. Because basically, everything to do with a Christian life is about being in Christ. That's what it all is. We are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you've got nothing. If you're in Christ, you've got everything. So whenever Paul's talking about things in the Christian life, he's talking about them being in Christ. That's what you've got in Christ. That's because that's, that's where you are. You were over here in Adam, but now you're here in Christ. So when Paul talks, he talks about you being in Christ. And because of your in Christ, you've got this. And because you're in Christ, you've got that. It's so important. Paul sees straight away that this is significant, that we live in Christ. So being in Christ... It's the mainstay of Paul's religion. Now that passage we read earlier, um, perhaps we could do the next one. Um, oh, sorry, I should have done that one before. Uh, let's do the next one now. Sorry. If we go on to this passage we read earlier in Ephesians, you'll see there there's 12 things listed. Or, and that's what passage, eight actually. Um, and they're all things that have come from this passage. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. In him, we have redemption. In Christ, God planned the salvation of the Jew and the Gentile. Next one. In Christ, God will unite all things in universal reconciliation. Again, Rich talked about that last week. In Christ, we've been appointed to live for the praise of God's glory. In Christ, believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, Ephesians 2.10, we didn't read that, we are created for good works. You see, thanks. We don't really notice what it says in Christ, do we? Because it's just kind of there, all the way through, it's there. Because for Paul, this was what it was about. He realised that one time I was here, on my own, trying to do my own good works, battling through life, not doing very well. Now I'm in Christ, and everything I have is because of him. Everything. Everything I do is because of him. Whatever I achieve is because I achieve it in him. So being in Christ is the most important and most exciting thing. But more than this, Christ, it says, in his risen glory, has become more than an individual outside of us and above us. He has in some way already taken every believer and entire churches up into himself. In other words, he's got kind of the whole thing it comes up into Christ ultimately in the end. And when God looks at us, he sees us through Christ. That's how he, he can actually accept us, because he, sees, he doesn't really see us on our own. He sees us in Christ. And it's very hard to try and find a way of illustrating that and, and making it clear. In fact, um, Calvin, who was probably one of the greatest theologians, said the mystery of Christ's union with the, the saved is by nature incomprehensible. So it's quite difficult for us, I imagine, to, to get a grasp of it. But I thought of it like this, and I don't know whether this is a helpful illustration or not, but if you imagine yourself as a candle, 
You know, you're a candle, you're burning a little flame above you, okay? And here's Christ who also is a candle, and he's got a flame above him here. If you take those two candles and put them together like that, the two flames become one flame. You can't see your flame in his flame because the two merge, don't they? They just burn as one flame from the two wicks. But if you then took the candles apart, the two flames would still be light. They'd still be there. So although we're in him, we are still us in him. So you can add as many candles in as you like, of course, and the flame will just get bigger. But there is one flame, but we're all in it. We're all independent, but we're in it. So we're independent, but we're united with him. Do you see what I'm trying to say? That we, we don't lose our identity, but it's in him. It's kind of merged inside to him. So it's all taken up in Christ. Just as we had an identity from our parents and grandparents that came all the way from Adam, so we now have an identity that is in Christ. And we have his inheritance. We have everything that Christ has won. All that he did in his death and resurrection, it's all for us. It's all ours because it's our inheritance. We're in him. We're part of his family. We belong to him. Isn't that fantastic? Don't you think that's, wow. You know, I was a nobody. I was down in the gutter. I was nothing. God's put me into his family in Christ. And once you're in his family, you're in his family. You know, you might not like your ancestors, but you can't get rid of them, can you? They've already gone. You can't do anything about it. That's your family. You're, you are who you are. I mean, Rich thinks my dad was in the mafia. He might have been, I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's the way it is. I can't change it, can I? And neither can you change the fact that I'm in Christ. And everything that's Christ is mine. Everything that he has won, everything that he has done is mine. And that can't change. Because I'm in his family. I belong to him. We've moved from being people who were in Adam, struggling on our own, to being those who are in Christ, once we've accepted Christ as our saviour. Isn't that fantastic? And everything we're going to hear about, everything we have heard about, is all because we are in Christ. That's where all starts and finishes. Amen. I just want to read one little passage. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from him. Amen. Thank you, Father, that you have made us into the image of your wonderful Son, the Lord Jesus. We didn't deserve that, Lord. We were just part of that rebellious family of Adam, kicking against you, Lord, and fighting. And you took us out of that, and you've put us in your family in Jesus. And I would thank you this morning so much, Lord, that I'm in your family have so much to look forward to in you. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus and allowing us to become part of his family and to be in Christ. Amen.